Hello, welcome to The End, a podcast, the brief edition. I am your host, Peak Mason, joined with, well, no one today. I don't have any co-hosts because this is a brand new kind of format. That is right. Welcome to The End, a brief edition. Uh, after last week, I managed to bring the podcast back from the dead. And you better believe I was really, really excited about being able to do that. Uh, I did not want to go away for nine months it was unfortunate it was just circumstantial it had to be uh there was things happening in my life that didn't allow me to really record all that frequently or uh be a stable human being uh not mentally uh more like financially and and where i was living uh as for cubes cubes he uh he had his own things going on he had to deal with life uh and by the time everything got settled the da- the you know the metaphor by the time the metaphorical dust was settled and cleared uh it just wasn't feasible for us to continue to do it uh, i asked cubes if he wanted to come back he said no thank you um and to be honest i was kind of impressed i managed to get him to record as many episodes as he did uh he's a real flaky individual and um the fact that he did those is kind of it's actually it's a real personal accomplishment for me uh so last week as i said we were able to bring it back my brother randy who uh oh big shout out to randy thank you for helping me bring the show back but um next week actually uh, we'll be uh, back with a normal Welcome to the End episode, me, Randy, and actually we'll be joined by my brother Grizz. It's going to be an exciting episode. We're getting geared up. We're really excited for this. Uh, it's going to be on Philip K. Dick. So stay tuned in for that. It's going to be fun. So when it comes to Welcome to the End, a podcast, the brief edition, the brief edition, which is what I'm doing right now, where it's just me talking out. Uh, I decided to do this new format as a way to make the podcast weekly uh, because I've always wanted the podcast weekly. It's just always been a challenge with scheduling and uh, the whatnot. Uh, and unfortunately, even though I had the help with my my brother and my um, brother-in-law, who's going to be coming in, uh, they have real careers, so they don't have a lot of scheduling room, you know, wiggle room to negotiate and and schedule these so that's why when it comes to the normal welcome the in episodes those are going to be bi-weekly if we're lucky i'm gonna i'm gonna be honest if we're lucky but <clears throat> right so the whole point of welcome the end a brief edition is it's gonna make the show weekly that way we don't die again for nine months and i can continue to have something for anyone who happens to listen. Now, that all that's covered, what Welcome to the End, a brief edition is, is it is me talking about certain subjects, certain matters that Welcome to the End's normal format doesn't really accommodate for. So it's anything in literature, fiction, uh, uh, writing that I'm really into and I want to talk about, any kind of news subjects, any anything like that. And it's hard to say uh, the brief edition might get a co-host, it might just be a temporary thing uh, that I do just until um, if my brother and brother-in-law really like doing it and they really make the time for it. I know we could make it weekly. As for now, welcome to the end. A brief aside. That's actually the name, not a brief edition. A brief aside is going to be uh, filling in the space to make it weekly. All right, so 
Welcome to the end, a podcast, a brief aside. I am your host, Peak Mason, and today I was really, really wanted to talk about a poet. He is a famous poet. He is known around the world. He is a celebrated poet, and it's a poet that you might not be too familiar with, though. It's the poet Horace. He is a Roman poet who was born in 65 BC. All right, so before we get into Horace, I figured I'd explain where I discovered him first. During the summer, I reread The Order of Time by Carlo Rovelli, which is a fantastic book written by uh, this Italian physicist, Carlo Rovelli. Um, and he discusses the nature and matter of time. And I, in fact, read him a year and a half ago when I did the uh, Welcome to the End episode about time. But I reread him. And all of his chapters open with passages from Horace's Odes. And I really, really enjoyed these passages that were put before his chapter. And it made me wonder and curious, who was this Horace? Uh, so I picked up a, uh, a a collection of Horace's poetry from Oxford here um, that is his odes and epodes, and they're beautiful. They're very well translated uh, by this uh, David West. Um, I've also found other translations that are a little bit better that follow his meter. Uh, I do like those, honestly, better than David West's one um, because uh, when it comes to Horace, uh, his meter and syllable count is really what matters, uh, and you just don't get that with uh, David West's translation. Uh, don't don't get me wrong; his translation's beautiful, but uh, there's there are better ones if that's something that's important to you, which for me um, was. All right. With that being now said, uh, I'll go ahead and introduce you to Horace, and uh, I'll do that first off by reading this introduction paragraph from the book I have from Oxford University Press. Uh, and um, then we'll go from there. Those who know Horace will find that of all dead writers, there is none who is a closer friend who speaks more usefully in ease and in difficult times, and none whom they would more happily sit down and drink with. Those who know him less well may argue that the character he presents is an ingratiating artifact trading in false modesty, self-mockery, superficial worldly wisdom, an English sense of humor, a toying to the regime which had enriched him, a convoluted word order, and a sequence of thoughts like Stephen Leacock's Lord Rolland, who flung himself upon his horse and rode madly off in all directions. But lovers of the man know all this and smile, answering simply that Horace knew it too. Horace really knew himself, and a lot of his poetry involves his personal ideas, his beliefs. It has a lot of his soul bound up in it, especially his odes. With that being said, let's get into Horace's life. Quantus Horatius Flesius uh, was born in 65 BC in Vientia, a town near um, Lucia and Aquila in South Italy. Horace's father was a auctioneer's agent, and he owned a small farm. Horace's father is one of the starting points that uh, shows that Horace lived a very interesting life. His father was a freed man, which 
which means he was formerly a slave who within his lifetime managed to free himself. You have to remember that slavery was really common for most of human civilization, actually. Uh, And compared to the slavery that was practiced here in the Americas, slavery in the ancient era was definitely matter-of-fact and just a way of life almost. It occurred all the time, and it was it was a matter of who won and lost. If you lost and you didn't die, well, you're going to become a slave. If you were lucky, you were left in your village, town, or city. If you were lucky, that is. But most of the time, you were going to be taken as a slave and used for labor and as a way to... Uh, build up the society that was the victor over you. It was just the natural course of ancient civilization in the Mesopotamian, Greek, in that area. It, it just came to be a real dominant form of how things worked. Compared to the Americas, slavery in America was 100% racially motivated and practiced uh, and was a real deviation, so that's always something worth remembering that slavery in the Americas is very different than what it was for the ancient Romans, for the ancient Greeks, and so on down the line. It was uh, just natural in a way, and you could free yourself. You could free yourself. So you might become a captive of Rome, say, and within your lifetime through hard work, and you may have gotten the right master who bought you, you could win your freedom back, which is what Horace's father did. He was able to get his freedom back. And because of that, in his hard work and determination, he was really into and interested in Horace's education. And he was able to, with his uh, success and wealth, with his farm, send Horace off to highly elite schools. I want to make a quick note that when it comes to Horace's father... In his background, as a slave, as a freed man, uh, historians have been confused by this for a while. It's only been recently that they think that maybe his father and grandfather became slaves as a result of a specific rebellion that occurred. It was a social rebellion, so they had their citizenship revoked during the war but they didn't actually become slaves and as a result it was used as a term like a like a joking term against Horace later in life but in reality his family was wealthy uh there it's still a little tricky to answer that question considering how well Horace would go on and how successful he'd be uh but it's just worth noting that that uh uh he may or may not actually be the underdog kind of guy that I'm portraying here, or as other historians and uh, literary summary introductions might also give. Uh, that's important to remember. All right. Now, um, Rome did have a public school system. Uh, you could think something like what we have today, though it's Roman, so it's a little different, of course. Uh, But his father decided he wanted him to have the best education. He had been enslaved, he had worked all his life, he had made it, and he was going to set his son up for success, and he did. He sent him to Rome to study Greek, and then later on was able to send him to a higher education in Athens, 
so he can continue to learn Greek and learn Greek philosophy. And you also have to remember that when it comes to Rome, they stole everything from uh, Greece. And during their time, the language of learned individuals, of educated people, were was, well, Greek. Um, compared to the medieval Renaissance era, in which if you were educated, you knew Latin. Um, it's a funny little history fact that it would switch centuries later in order to become the educated class. So he did that. He studied in Athens. Now, as I said, Horace was born in 65 B.C., that's kind of important because he was alive during the time of Julius Caesar. Uh, and Julius Caesar was killed in 44 BC. And one of the perpetrators, which was Brutus, fled to Athens while Horace was studying in Athens. Something that's not really frequently covered when it comes to uh, the transition period between Rome being a republic and being an empire is that after the death of Julius Caesar... It sparked a civil war with Brutus and different factions forming. And the man who would come in to end the civil war and reinstitute the dictatorship that Julius Caesar had started was Augustus Caesar. So Brutus is now in Athens and Horace is in Athens studying. And there is a civil war now that has broken out. Horace goes ahead and joins Brutus in the war. And he actually ends up serving as a uh, tribune to Brutus, which means he had an entire legion at his command. Now, of course, Brutus would lose. Augustus Caesar would win. He'd become emperor. Uh, what's interesting is that even though Horus fought against him, all that punitively happened to him was he had his land taken away. So he no longer had the farm that his father left him. Now, this leads into Horace's writing career, and it starts to take off after this war and him trying to get back on his feet. He doesn't have any land. Everything's been stripped away from him, and he has to find a way back, and he does that through his poetry, uh, and he starts writing, and he's actually very well-liked, so much so that he joins a lot of famous other Roman writers of the time, specifically Virgil. Virgil really they were they got along and they enjoyed each other's company and um, he also then found another uh, patron which that was really big for a lot of Roman artists or well poets or anything really was you gotta you had to find a patron that's why a lot of the ones that are left around are really well known is because they had a very wealthy patron that helped set them up Horace found a new patron. Uh, in time, and his name was Marcinius. Uh, I'm sure I'm but butchering that. Uh, and he was really what helped propel his career and get him off the ground. He gave him his farm, and actually after uh, his death, um, he gave all his land to Augustus, but in the will he said, mind Horus, as if uh, he was me. Um, though Augustus didn't really have to worry about that too long, considering Horace would die uh, within 90 days after his death. And they were actually very buried pretty close together. They were fast friends, and because of him, he was really able to make the connections and the necessary contacts that would go on to further his success. Of course, he naturally had talent that goes far beyond just that. And he's, in fact, quoted in one of his satires as writing a poem towards his father and Marcisius about that, how... 
Um, thanks to them, uh, he really was able to succeed. He was able to do what he did in his life. And without his father and his patron, he would be nothing. That's really what he attributes to his success. He proceeded to write his uh, odes and epodes over the course of his life. And through his success, um, he was offered something that even us in this modern age would probably say is a big deal. Virgil, who was a major poet of that time too, had passed away and he held a title that uh, you could call the Voice of Rome or the Court's Poet. And Augustus wanted a new poet for his court. Who did he have in mind? Well, he had Horace. So he asked Horace, would you please become our court poet? Horace was honored by this, but he didn't think it suited him. So he gracefully turned down the position in the best way possible. And you really do have to be a great poet to turn down the Roman emperor that you fought against for what's literally the job of a lifetime in a way. Though he did agree to do one of the solstice opening ceremonies where he wrote a poem for the solstice and uh that's how they opened their celebrations because that's something that also a lot of people probably don't know is that when it comes to solstice celebrations during rome they'd open it with poetry with this song and and uh whatnot horace would die in 8 bc shortly after his patron and that's about all on his life as for his poetry, that's really what I was wanting to talk about, at least a little bit. There's not a lot of time. Uh, mainly wanted to cover Horace as a character, which I've done. Um, but I'll talk a little bit about his poetry because it is really inspirational and it's a great thing to come across if you haven't come across it. Horace was a really well-studied man. He knew Greek and he read many Greek poets and one of the challenges of his time was translating Greek into Latin, specifically their poems and their poetic structure, because the two languages are drastically different in how they sound and their order and cadence. And he was quoted for creating his own poetic style. In reality, it was, it was a Greek style that he took and gave new life to, um, and he admits that, I mean, that's fully well-known, um, Horace's poetic style. I won't read any of his poetry um, because I don't want to embarrass myself. Also, uh, it seems that his poetry, uh, those who really enjoy Ho Horace's poetry, uh, also happen to decide to read it in Latin or something uh, like that. Uh, what really also got my attention about Horace is the fact that he's been very popular for a very long time. And specifically, his popularity really started to grow out of the Renaissance and in Britain. It wasn't uncommon to hear Horace being quoted in the English Parliament, like the House of Lords and even the House of Commons. You could hear quotes being thrown around, and that was a way of kind of showing off that you had a big brain, that you knew what you were talking about, and you were classically educated because you knew Horace and you could quote him in Latin and English and X, Y, and Z. In fact, he would be quoted all the way up until the modern era with Winston Churchill using sections of Horace in speeches. 
because he's just that fantastic of a poet and writer that his works, even when translated, are marvelous and really well suited for you. So if you're looking for a poet and you want some to different, especially if you're looking into the ancient classical age, definitely look at Horace because his poetry is short. It's easy to get to. It's not the epics that you'd find with Ovid in the Metamorphosis or the Greek poets like Homer with the Iliad and Odyssey where there's these long-winded, huge classic stories that take a lot to read. These are more just natural poems and feelings. That's the key thing is feelings. You can really feel his life in this. You can feel his thoughts. It just transports you back to that time and you start to get a sense of what Rome might have been like um, without the lead though. So, but that's been Horace. This is Welcome to the End, a brief aside, just covering Horace. I hope you've enjoyed it. Again, it's nothing too in-depth. I'm just doing a little bit of a background on a writer uh, who I was really, really impressed with. And I'm not reading any of his poems. I can't do that. It's too, it'd take too long. I'd have to re-record this so many times as I tried to even get a few stanzas because his poems are beautiful, but I am not a good natural speaker, at least when it comes to reading off a script. I just just bounce off words and I can it's just not for me guys it's just it's just not for me well I say that until you uh listen to the end piece which I hope you'll enjoy here anyway join us next week uh for a regular normal welcome the end episode where I'll be here with Randy and Grizz and we're going to be talking about Philip K. Dick and it's bound to get wild and Anyway, thank you for listening, and uh, enjoy this um, piece as I make an ass of myself. Thank you. We're going to read a goddamn poem now. Now you listen to me. You listen good. We're going to do this. All right. Ugh. Oh, man. I'm so drunk on this goddamn boat. All right, let's do this. Oh, Captain, My Captain by Walt Whitman. Oh, Captain, my Captain, our fearful trip is done. The ship has weathered every rack, the prize we sought is won. The port is near, the bells I hear, the people all exulting. Will follow eyes, the steady keel, the vessel grim and daring. But oh, heart, 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 oh, the bleeding drops of red. Where on the deck my Captain lies, fallen, cold and dead. Oh, Captain, my Captain, Rise up and hear the bells, rise up, for your flag is flung, for you the bugles trill, for you the bouquets and ribbons wealth, for you the shores are crowding, for you they call the swaying mass, their eager faces turning. Here, Captain, dear father, this arm beneath your head, is it some dream that on the deck you've fallen cold and dead? My captain does not answer, his lips are pale and still. My father does not feel my arm, he has no pulse or will. The ship is anchored, safe and sound, his voyage closed and done. For fearful trip, the victor ship comes in with objects won. Exult, O shores, and ring, O bells, but I, with mournful tread, walk the deck my captain lies, fallen, 
cold and dead. And that was Oh Captain, my captain, I won't Whitman. Now if you don't mind, I need to go throw up. Good night everyone. I hope you enjoyed this. Oh god. What am I doing? <laughs>